so we're back with uh, episode nine, Smart Power. There we go. So we figured it out, what the episode was called. And uh, I'm back here with Abigail this week. Hey. And uh, Ab- uh, Kay couldn't be with us this week, but we'll have the whole gang back together next week. And before we get into that, let's talk about some of these comments we were finding online. Yeah, let's do that first, because I think that's the Which most one do we important. Want, where do we want to start? Well, I mean, last episode was uh, women's work, and yeah. uh, that's the episode where Serena was, was beaten by um, Fred, and um, after I posted the episode on, you know, that the episode was up on Facebook. Uh, we got some comments and also some other listeners had brought up their concerns about what they were seeing on other forums yeah. and other websites uh, about how other women were celebrating the fact that Serena was really was severely men. beaten. No, it was other women. What it, it was? Yeah. Okay. And there was uh, also women on our um, Facebook page who had commented that they had celebrated that particular fact also. And so that was, I said that was so, concerning to me. and That is concerning. But I'm curious if those women specifically are very religious to mm. the point that, you know, I've commented before about like Southern Baptists, um, not necessarily all. I'm just giving an example. Don't mm-hmm. want people to throw me in a box here because <laughs> I'm definitely not throwing everyone in one tiny, cute little box with a bow on top. That's not how life works. But um, I have experienced some uh, Southern Baptist women to be so submissive to their men that they expect their men to put them in their place if they ever step out of line by accident because that is God's will. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if the women commenting might feel the same way. Possibly. And also I feel like there's also a measure of schadenfreude. And if you don't know what that is, who's listening, it's like happiness at the expense of others kinds of deal. And I get Excitism. that this is a fictional show and I get that you know, these are characters we sometimes really don't like, especially Serena's. We always talk about Serena being a very problematic character. I mean, character. she could be a bitch. I'm not denying that. But, I mean, there's definitely a line, especially in the context of this whole show and how we frame and talk about, you know, violence towards women. And so, yeah, that just didn't sit well with me that yeah. uh, other people out to there were celebrating. A about uh, Commander Waterford, Commander Waterford, you know, putting her in her place finally. Like, that's some bullshit, guys. Like, I don't care who you are, but beating your wife is not an acceptable answer. Yeah, and I think that's just like, you know, this is, you know, our podcast and we have very strong views and we have very differing views, but I believe, you know, between Yeah, but we're, we're still me, respectful of each other's viewpoints, yeah, even if we don't agree. And between Abigail, Kay, and I, and I can speak for mike uh probably also is that you know we're gonna take the stance that that's kind of not a cool thing to <laughs> uh Argue all you want viewpoint. that is wrong yeah that's so i don't want to talk that to death just want to be clear about what our viewpoint is because that's what our viewpoint is and we feel strongly about that and we stand behind that and so yeah i mean reach out to us if you have any further comments to that uh, you know we always welcome your guys uh comments and and if you disagree please reach out yeah, uh, definitely. You know, I maybe there's something we're not seeing that someone else is. I mean, possibly. I don't know. I mean, we're also here about, you know, listening to everyone's opinion and uh, getting the perspective of everyone because we don't have the perspective of everyone. That's true. But I think there's some things that are very clear that, you know, things that are not acceptable, especially in the context of this show. And and what the content we discuss and, and the framework that it is constructed in, that 
that particular instance was, you know, on any level kind of not cool. And I'm and I'm going to say that as my personal opinion. I really think that's unacceptable to think that that's an okay thing. So anyway, moving on to happier pastures. Uh, I have been neglecting our uh, iTunes reviews. Uh, if you are <laughs> listening to us on iTunes and uh, would like to leave us a review, please do so. It helps us move up in the rankings and helps other people who are interested in The Handmaid's Tale find our podcast and share the love of The Handmaid's Tale show on Hulu. And so we have a comment by uh, review uh, from Maury H. What uh, I noticed in this episode, he's talking about um, season two, episode eight. Was the bomber used a pen or syringe-like uh, instrument to blow up the building? Then later on, June uses a pen in the same manner when she clicked it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. To me, it signified the power of the pen. I was like, yeah, yes. that is such a great, yeah. And the positioning is the same and the click. That is such a great like, parallel. What's, what's that saying? I'm horrible with my idioms. If anyone knows me, you know that I mess them all up. What's that saying with uh, the pen and the sword? The pen, the is, pen mightier is mightier than the sword. There, that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there was definitely a, a big parallel that, you know, uh, And then Maury even into this out. episode, it continues. It really does. Um, so we next up, we have uh, Kelly in um, Kansas. Uh, I listen to the Handmaid's podcast, and these podcasters are the most insightful. Oh, oh my God, thank thanks, you. Thanks. I wish I could be their friends in real life. You can be my friend. Yeah, just um, find us. <laughs> I love, I love their passion and thought-provoking uh, discussion. Thank you, Kelly. And then, um, uh, Astro Nuggets and Fries said, oh, "I really oh my God, that, can, but just pause. Astro Nuggets and Fries. Whoever you are, that's amazing, and I love you. It's <laughs> my favorite screen name of all time. Uh, I really enjoy this podcast because it has three women of different ages and male guests. It's insightful and interesting. Yes, again, yes, please. Um, different viewpoints, very important to me in producing this podcast. Um, yes, and uh, Kristen from Illinois says, I listened to several Handmaid's Tale." podcast and this one might be my second favorite after blessed be the fruit salad uh, oh I, that's that title's actually really great that's a really good title <laughs> i really like the guest star on the episode as well they also do a lot of background research good show thank you yeah we do you we know try. there's things that you know stick out to us that we're like you know want to talk about we want to figure it out yeah it helps that there's three of us here we can pick each other's brains and really figure something out together in the first season of this particular uh handmaid's tale podcast i had several male guests particularly uh alden t burrows if you're listening out there alden shout out to you i archived those episodes um just to focus on the abridged versions that we recently recorded on the new equipment because the sound quality is better but reach out to me if you ever want to listen to those because i think they're great we got lots of great guest uh hosts so i'll probably post those somewhere for posterity so people can access them uh and yeah so thanks for uh your itunes reviews you can review us um and i will give you a shout out i'll read your comment on the podcast you can also email us at the handmaids podcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on facebook at the handmaids podcast and we're going to get lots of comments because this is a jam-packed episode. Jam-packed. Yes. I think I texted you earlier today and I was like, WTF. There <laughs> she is... did. She texted me. She's like, oh my God, there's so much happening. There's so much. <laughs> and I was like, don't say anything. I'm still watching it. <laughs> and I had to pause sometimes because. To just take it in. Yeah. And like, I was like fever- feverishly writing notes and I was like, I have to pause because I'm not, I can't right that fast <laughs> so the, the the events are like just happening at a break next week. And, okay so we say this every single week that so much happens but really there really is a lot happening every single week <laughs> in comparison there is a fucking lot that happened this week guys this yeah 
There it was. And uh, all right, so are we starting? Yeah, at the I'm so very, excited to start. At the very top of the uh, episode, we get this wonderful voiceover from June. Yes. And uh, she's talking about, oh, this would make like a great Airbnb, um, and sort of you know this Her, hyperbole. Like, and she's like. As if it's, like, an Airbnb posting, like, reading the description of the place. It's yeah. really quite funny. Like, you know what? This is a really cute place with a great view over some really green yard. And, you know, you know the- ritual, some ri- the couple is really creepy. Some ritualized rape required. Like, just very, <laughs> this hyperbole is uh, really cute. And But it does get to this reflective point where she says, you know, well, you know, the, at some point this would have been a house for people of, uh, women of reduced circumstances but at least i still have circumstances yeah and uh it talks about things that are possible versus things that are impossible which is interesting because throughout the course of this episode a lot of like seemingly impossible fucking things happen just real things that really like we're like that would never be possible but it, it it's possible so it's interesting she sets it up in the beginning of the episode you know like hannah are things that are impossible you know, I at least still have circumstances. I'm alive. Right. You know, I have this, you know, baby human person and, you know, in growing my, in me. So originally when I, she first started talking about Airbnb and I was like, did they mess up? Because I thought that was like a really new thing. Like, I didn't realize that it started back in like August of 2011. It's been along for a while. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> technically, I mean, it had been around for about four years before like the whole ordeal went down. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think the show does do a good job of having a lot of cultural references to just really hook you and like keep you engaged because you're like oh this is very current right this is not some far removed dystopian future where they everyone is super yeah different um so rita comes in and saying that we've been summoned and so they both go down and so this is where we find out that fred and serena are going to canada and this guardian his name is isaac will be watching over the house while they're gone and so this is just, I mean, it's like loading the bullets in the chamber of like what's yeah. happening for the entire episode. It's, and everyone's just like, oh, man, now we have to be like really good. Like we know the rules and now we actually have to follow them to the T this time, like until they're back. Like because, you know, they, they slide a little bit, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I think like, relatively... Rita doesn't say everything she's supposed to say every time she leaves a room. Yeah. Like, you know, like there's yeah. certain things that they don't follow to a T. But now we've got like this 20 year old guardian. All of a sudden they have to follow it to a T. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so Serena's greenhouse, we get Serena in there, and then Fred comes in, and <laughs> this whole, the, the writing in this scene is particularly uh, stood out to me, because I think I've made the parallel before when, you know, Serena is, like, rage gardening. <laughs> she, like, has her, you know, these seedlings are, like, her babies. They are she's her babies. The, she's the mother of these plants, and so when... Fred comes in and she's like, you're such an attentive mother. Mm. And I was like, well, I mean, you know, they're really clearly drawing the parallels. Oh, yeah. And she said she lost uh, a bunch of cuttings, which are, you know, mm. little seedling things. And, you know, he was like, I'm sorry, like really sincerely, like, you know, a loss of uh, a child, uh, not a child, but, you know, a, a loss, loss of, of life, a, you know. Like, something that was important to her. Right. Like he understood on some level, this is what's important to you. This is all you have in life. Sorry, love. <laughs> so they're talking about, you know, Serena really doesn't want to go to Canada, which is interesting. Yeah. Like why? I think that, well, the, because that being near the baby or being away from June and the pregnancy I mean, she really has freaks her out. Yeah. It really freaks her out. It's like, honestly. what if she has the baby and she's not there? Yeah. She's like, out. I that mean, this has been a very fraught pregnancy. I mean, like, first off 
June escaped and was gone for what was it, ninety two yeah. days? And then after she came back, uh she was like a broken zombie. <laughs> and then uh she had that Yo, yeah, that issue that hema- the hematoma and you know, almost bled to death. I mean, this has been a very fraught pregnancy. Yeah. And it's like in only in the third trimester. So all of this has happened really between like the six and like eight months. Yeah, basically. It's a lot of trauma to happen around a pregnancy in that short amount of time and so it's understandable that it gives her anxiety that she has to be away from june and right. the baby that makes sense um, you're right yep i didn't think about that but you're right and i think also too like she does not want to be spending time with fred right now like really not at all because did you notice that when fred touched her arm she flinched she kind of flinches yeah she like, does just being close to him makes her anxious and i th- so i th- at this point i think their relationship her? has fundamentally changed because they have yeah, been no. on a roller coaster the last three years from a very they've on, okay they've been on a roller coaster but they've had lots of tender moments on that roller coaster and now right. all of a sudden ever since he's come back and beat her mm-hmm. it's been horrible yeah they have not been on the same page and like he doesn't get it I also think he doesn't really care because Probably I not. think he's established himself as like head of household and that's all that really matters. And so he's head Serena of and he's gained like value in the ranks. Yeah. So he has more fulfillment in his work and things like that and kind of this new lease on life so to speak and and this work is really important. It's very critical, you know, if they don't uh, form these alliances in the the greater diplomatic realm you know they their economy their government is really truly in trouble right you know if no one's playing ball with them you know it's a very similar like north korea situation well but so here's my here's my thought process they've been and this is just me trying to out loud work through their situation so gilead the new america if you will the new world order i don't know what you want to call it but gilead is like North Korea, it's on its own. They're, what is it, 98, 96% solar powered or um, mm-hmm. organic, organic and efficient organic. and whatever. Like they're really eco friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, they're self sufficient. They're doing their own thing. What trade do they need? Like honestly, though, like I don't know what they specifically need that they can't just make at home and deal with the, themselves. I mean, I think uh, a range of climates has a lot to do with it because you need. In imports and exports to survive in a global economy. I mean, in a global economy, yes. Because but do it also they need to, to be sus- in a global economy. Or yeah, they- because they have a population. They've taken over a swath of population that needs it to survive. There, we're not talking about like a commune of like. No, 30 we're not people. talking about a commune. But so technically speaking, it is possible to feed your own country on your own soil if you rotate correctly. So, I mean, if they want to, they could be entirely self-sufficient. My question is specifically, what are they getting from other nations that they can't do at home? That they can't live without. I think that's what I'm curious about because I think it's a lot though because you know Eden later in the episode talks about strawberries from you know California, California being imported. I mean, so on a state, California even on a state to state level, like you know, we don't get all of the. We don't know how big different is. Yeah. Well, we don't know like all the different. I mean, I wish Kay was here to talk about agriculture because she's the you know agricultural goddess, right. as it were. But. You know, even in one state, you know, there's not, you know, the varying climates to have all the different types of, you know, but you don't need whatever of them. But maybe they want it. And also, I think there's this uh, sentiment, um, you know, drawing a parallel to North Korea that I was having a conversation with someone earlier this week that was like, what makes a striking uh, difference between um, 
King Jong-un and King, King Jong-un and his father and their predecessors was that his, predece- his predecessors their, and his father particularly was totally fine being insular. And his father was basically a hermit, never gave, only spoke in public once, very briefly, his entire time that he was in power. And uh, King Jong-un has been uh, very vocal, very outwardly. Uh, and it's be- and he's making concessions and he's doing these talks or at least willing to because he wants to play ball. He wants to be at the table. He wants to be recognized by the international community. So you can subsist on I mean, whatever is in your regional area and sub- sustain your um, that way. But if there is, they I think, to a tone of... You know, and the they is really him. There is no they in, in, in North Korea. Okay, so you're making the parallel that, yes, they can survive on their own, but they don't want to. They want to flourish, and that means being in the international marketplace. Yeah. Okay. They want to be recognized that, as, like, a global power. I'll concede on that. Because also, you have to think about, like, I mean, especially in the book, they talk about there's this war. Because, I mean, it's, we find out later from uh, Mark um, Twooley that there are there is a... Uh, still in America, so to speak, an American. Yeah, government. they do say, and so something about America, which there America, is a yeah, there is a war happening in the book, and so we're assuming that whomever they've you know annexed the land from, which is America, there there's this clash happening, and so it's unclear whether those wars are still happening. Like throughout the Handmaid's Tale book, a lot of like the small talk, besides you know the weather and and all that stuff, is that oh. There were more, you know, rebels caught um, on the front lines. I, I think that Emily says it at one point, too, in season one. So it is part of, like, small talk. Like, oh, do. we caught more rebels. Like, oh, the war is going well for us. Okay. You know, we caught more, you know, spies, yada, yada. So there is this military conflict that is sort of in the ethosphere, but it's not very at the forefront of what the show is handling. Okay. So it, it, it is a mystery whether there is an ongoing military conflict conflict between what was previously America and what is Gilead. Because in the book, it's very clear that, that there is military conflict They happening. do reference it in this episode, though, uh, when she's at the table with that the non- reporter. non-reporter. Yeah, the non- non-reporter. <laughs> the non-reporter. Um, <laughs> and she's just like, um, which America are you talking about? You know? Yeah, that's what I'm referring to, but yeah. it's not clear. You know, not clear they don't, they they don't ever really talk about war. military conflict within the show. Like, that's it true. is out there it's like sort of happening but it's right. not really a big part of the storyline so no, to speak you're right, right now. you're right so it's hard to know specifically in in this show what's going on and in relation to that we're talking about how gilead wants to be like a superpower because it's I, it's not enough for them that like oh they have their little gilead and they follow their own little rules like they kind of it's kind of one of those like if it were up to them they take over the whole fucking world like OPEC and 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 like make everybody in their own image. You know what I'm saying? So like the Middle East. I think it's a little bit of a lot of things and for them, you know, because it's only been like we discussed this in the tri- timeline like what 3 or 4 years. Yeah, it's only been we're right around four years now. So I mean, realistically, in that time, can you turn around a subsistent, sustainable um, agricultural method that sustains the population that they have? I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. We don't so, know what their population is. We don't know how many states they have. We don't know a lot of things. It's really difficult to really know. And you know, we also, you know, 
speaking of international trade, because, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, doing this uh, embassy thing in, in Canada, they're in Canada. Yeah. And uh, we haven't really gotten the shoe, the other shoe dropping of the Mexico deal. We haven't heard another word about Mexico. Right, because the last so, week heard it was positive. Right, that, that they were going to do this. So we haven't seen the follow through of that yet, but we're assuming it's only really like less than a year since that meeting has happened. Yeah, because so when that meeting happened, that was time. before June was pregnant. And now right. that she's pregnant, you know, it's been about 10 months. Yeah. So it's been right around a year. And, you know, after the bombing also, there were so few handmaids, quote unquote, that they brought previous handmaids back from the colonies, even though they had labeled them unwomen and like thrown them in the radiation fields. Right. So are they still so, considered unwomen? That's so that's also unclear. I mean, we're, we're kind of deviating a lot from what's happening in the actual story right now, just to give you a context of like, you know, this is why, you know, they want to play ball, is they want to sit at the table, is they want to be powerful. They view themselves as powerful, and they want everybody else to know they're powerful. And they don't want to be viewed as, like, and also, you know, I'm sure um, King Jong-un in uh, North Korea is like, my people are great, my people are happy, they have everything they need, when we know on the outside that's not a fact. Right. And But he no, believes that. That's a great parallel. And he believes that. And, so, and Waterford is that he completely and fully believes that. A lot of people are like, okay, well, that's not super true. But Waterford is like, no, things are great for everyone. This is the way things should be. Right. And sure, it's shitty for a lot of people, but we're making the world a better place. And better is not always great for everybody. Right. And he said that before. And I mean, you can't deny it. It's kind of true. So I think his beliefs are hold really fast and strong. And so I think this is the place we're operating from. We're like, how can you blatantly tell everybody around you that things are hunky-dory, you know, peachy? When they're not, and, and because it is in his framework of his mind, they are. This is the way things should be. This is the way things are in Gilead. He's a true believer. Yeah, and so this is how we present ourselves to the world. And everything else people say about us is really misinformation and fake news. Mm-hmm. Right? And we see that in lots of different instances in our um, political sphere nowadays. Oh, so yes. That was a really long deviation. However, um, it's very relevant. Very. Um, we get to, before we leave, we have this little scene between Eden and Nick, and Eden baked him these cookies. Oh, my God. And it was like it had a token for chocolate, and like I guess chocolate's really rare. Never seen a token for chocolate before. Is, you know, fair. Um, I'm going to miss you. <laughs> And she's, like, actively looking for affection in a relationship. Oh, poor thing. So sad. Like, I actually feel for her. Like, I do. I know that she is a tiny little youngster who should not be married. Like, your child bride. But I feel bad for she, her. It's really sad. She's trying so hard to look for anything from him. And yeah. he's just, like, She wants a relationship like, with Nick. Yes. Like, a true, like, a, like, like an affectionate marriage relationship. Yes. And it's real sad. She's trying so hard. It's the poor sad. dear. And she's alone all day long. This is the one thing she has is her husband, and he's not giving it to her. Mm-hmm. That's really sad, actually. And the little amount of time that they probably do see each other. And she was like, I, I know it's only a few days, but I'm going to miss you. And I'm just like, come on, dude. Like, how sweet is she? Sad she wants nothing but for him to be happy and for them to have an yeah. affectionate relationship. Mm-hmm. That's really not asking a whole lot. The poor dear. I do still predict that Eden is going to be dangerous down the line and not in oh, a no malicious shit. Like, way. Oh, no shit. Like, absolutely. Not in a malicious way, but just because she's so innocent and she, she doesn't knows, know she any better. She knows nothing better. Um, before we leave, Serena comes into Alfred's uh, room, and uh, she's very concerned. She, again, the anxiety about being away from the, the baby. Yeah. And 
she tells this bombshell to Alfred that's like, you know, as soon as the baby is born, you are not coming back to this house. I would like for you to leave. And so we've seen throughout Janine's, you know, pregnancy that, you know, you wean the baby, the it's breastfeeding is like the the yeah. the, the standard. Well, because in breastfeeding, Gilead. you know, even they understand from research before Gilead that, you know, the breast milk from a mother gives the antibodies and antigens that a child needs in those first few months because those first few months are critical to their immune system. And they're very like, you know, their aesthetic is like very old school, right? This right. is the Gilead aesthetic. Like it's very in line with their brand to to breastfeed and then once they're weaned, then the handmaid can move on to another house, which is what Janine did before she freaked out. And right. <laughs> one of her freak, major freakouts. Oh, and she's so broken. I, oh, God, this line kills me. You know, because I think that June sincerely felt that there was this like genuine friendship happening between them. Yeah. And she was like, had so many moments. And she was like, oh, have a safe trip. And she was just like, yeah, we're, we've, had enough of one another don't you think and i was just like damn girl damn serena so okay so i think the moment that their relationship changed was after she was beaten oh yeah that was so degrading and humiliating for her but but it's not that it was degrading and humiliating though i'm not doubting that like it was 100 percent. i'm not saying no but i think it was that you know they had that friendship going and it mm-hmm. was built on something that wasn't gilead yeah and then all of a sudden she was her system was shocked back into gilead mm-hmm. and so now she's not allowed essentially to have this friendship with her that's very true also yeah i think that anxiety with like her new dynamic with fred has a lot to deal with it because he does blame serena for being the one to like oh you tempted her you're the one who caused her indiscretion it's not really her fault you were you know what i'm so yeah i think fred puts that on her and victim blaming yeah and serena feels that so i agree with you that's a really good point i think i think her new relationship with fred has a lot to deal with it that and it's so upsetting yeah i think if we're bonding i think also too if that like had happened in private that she would feel like her relationship with june was you know sort of a reprieve yeah and but it's like there's no secret like it's it's like you we, have seen me at my absolute fucking worst yeah. moment of my entire goddamn life i have been shot before in the belly which caused me to probably be infertile and that was probably the worst moment of my entire life and you still saw me at a very raw moment and so yeah. but okay so yes to all of that but i think even in that scene afterwards where june walks up to the room knocks on the door and says is there anything i can do for you anything i can get for you like really trying to just yeah be a, be a female to another female and but and immediately serena distanced herself from the her the pain that you saw in serena though yeah. the pain it caused her to push her away yeah uh, yeah 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 like i think all of that totally agree is you. at play i think that might be another reason why she wants to get rid of her sooner because mm. it's just that much harder to keep her next to her wow that's heavy because this relationship is so fraught obviously and it's so complicated they're they're frenemies (laughs) but the beauty with some serious love in there though yeah and those moments i think overpower you know tend to in our in my mind overpower those 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 negative feelings but you know this is a very complicated situation very complicated relationship and june's obviously upset and i was like okay she upset the way that you know I mean, obviously, to be ripped from your child that just is being born is like that's obviously traumatic. So she's 
kind of upset. And she's got all these hormones in her. She's <laughs> like, and dear God, the fact that she has all these hormones going on and Aunt Lydia still is just like, you know what? I'm going to give you a little bit of leeway, but overall, like, that's unacceptable. Remember your place. Remember the rules. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, my God, woman. Mm, I think that was also coming from Aunt Lydia's place of, like, being more afraid of the Fred situation as well. Or the Waterford situation in general. But that was before she was, she, uh, June even mentioned, you know, the whole Waterford issue with Serena. No, but she knows. She knows. Lydia she didn't know Aunt- that there was abuse. No, Aunt Lydia knows it's a difficult household. She knows it's a difficult household. She did not know that Fred had hit, physically abused Serena. But I mean, Aunt Lydia knows that that shit happens because she's she knows what all the rules are and she knows what the consequences are for when people step out of line in their own household. She encouraged Fred to be the one to step in and take care of shit if shit went sour between them. But did, so she's uh, but there's completely aware. But there's a difference. Did you not see that moment they had when they were sitting there and June said? In my experience, a man who is willing to hit his wife is more than likely to hurt their child. And then that was the moment that she was just like, like, you could see the change in her face. She was like, oh. Yeah, I think there was definitely a tone. But I think that first moment with Aunt Lydia, like, being like, oh, you know, well, if she thinks that's what's best and. You know, she's not messing with the dynamic with the Waterfords anymore because the dynamic is totally different. But she didn't end up giving in. She gave in to say that she would essentially be there for the baby. Like, no one gets to hurt a baby. Yeah, but, you know, she was... I, I was referring to specifically, you were saying, like, oh, it was mean of her or, like, bitchy of her to be, like, reprimanding her for the way she was speaking because she was talking about the time before Gilead. Yeah. And so, in reference to that, it's like, okay, yeah, that's, that's kind of more of a retort than Aunt Lydia usually gives. But everything is so different now after the bombing. Aunt yeah. Lydia lost a lot of pretty much her babies they are her babies yeah that's her life so i think she's a little bit more hardened and definitely more you know rigid because of that because she suffered a, a, a lot of loss that day Thir- she lost 30 girls 31 girls 31 yeah so we finally get to canada and uh as they're arriving there's a newscast and we're in the living room of moira luke and aaron they're watching the news and moira realizes that it's waterford that's yep. come and so Moira oh, tells Luke that chills. that's Waterford and Waterford, you know, he they she, Moira knows that the June is at the Waterfords. So they go in and, um, you know, there's like protests. They go and talk to uh, Rachel Tapping, which is uh, we thought that she was with the Canadian government, but she, we find out that, you know, we're American guests government. of the Canadian government, yeah. that she's actually American and that she doesn't really have the power to do a drastic measure like what they're suggesting like just go and fucking arrest this guy he's a war criminal he is a war criminal and so and you know we're talking a lot about parallels to our current political climate and the people who are in charge of like very very problematic governments and is that like okay well we knew that there are labor camps in north korea can we just like not go invade them arrest him you can't do that and so i think what's at play here in a lot of the episode is the morality that comes in when you're using diplomacy in the correct way is that, you know, the moral things to do are often in contest with, like, the things you want to do in order to do the most moral thing, which is to free a bunch of oppressed people. Does that make sense? Yes. So, for example, <laughs> if, you know, I feel in my personal uh, opinion that, you know, if 
to free the people from the labor camps in North Korea. Just go in, get them out, topple that government. Whatever you got to do, you got to end the suffering, you know, go in and like fucking get them, right? Like D-Day, that shit. However, we are not at war with North Korea. Okay, so logically that makes like the most sense to do, right? If people are suffering, you go in, you you free the suffering basically and you fix the situation but then there's Based all these what, international law but yeah and that's the thing is like all these overarching things about diplomacy and 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 playing fair is that you know it's somebody else's co- country and they have sovereignty and you know we have to deal with things in the most diplomatic way in order to get the community at large to you know be able to alleviate the situation without resorting to basically violence so that's the moral dilemma right is like people are suffering and if we use a little bit of force those people will not suffer but you're using violence in order to get that so how do you not use violence to achieve the your your it's a catch-22 no matter exactly. how you cut it Exactly. So you, we can talk for hours about just that point, but that is my point is that you can't just go and arrest someone you think is a war criminal because there's this entire diplomatic process we actually have to go through in order to contest them as one. And and that's like conflict of diplomacy. Is like you want to be diplomatic, but at the same time you're just like can we not you have to take them to the Netherlands in order to try them into the international court. Yeah, it's just, but it's a whole thing. But to uphold the ideals of democracy, these are the things we have to do and we have to be rigid about them or else then we just fall into the same, you know, totalitarian dictatorship, you know, megalomaniac, you know, people who go into other countries and tear shit up. Like, that's not what we want to do, because then you're just like being the same people that you're saying not to you're say that saving. We haven't done that, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Absolutely. You're, you're, you know, just saying you're not being the same people that um, you say you're saving other people from. So a lot of tangents this episode because we're talking a lot of policy and we are. You and need a lot of context. My thing. And a lot of frame of reference about these So they arrive these sorts in Canada. Things. They walk into this hotel, I assume is what it is. And, you know, well, before that, in like the motorcade and Serena is looking around oh, at yeah. all the people on the street and she's fucking loving it. She is living but then, for it. OK, but sh- there's dual emotion there because yeah. she's also missing it. Yeah. You know, she focuses on the couple that's making out and she misses that love and spontaneity and just freedom of expression. And people out on the streets of all different colors and, and races shapes and, and sizes and, and women and men do, and wearing whatever they want. And <laughs> I think that was interesting because I think the cinematographer, the writers, like they, they made this nice contrast. that OK, we idealize, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. But they really captured the essence of what they're missing. And like they had there was also, you know, the um, homeless people that were sitting on the street as well. So you're getting this full picture that you're like, okay, this world out there that's opposite of Gilead is still not perfect, but it's definitely like better. Yeah, it's like this contrast now. Now we're really heading these contrasts. She's got this internal struggle the entire episode about it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if if, if Ivan Strahovski does not win a fucking Emmy for this season, I'm going to cry it. Write some strongly worded letters to the. Uh, I'll do more to than the, that. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Emmy's Academy. I'll yeah, this is a really. <laughs> this season has really highlighted uh, Serena in in such a brilliant way, and I talk about this all the time about how you know this is a very complicated person. She's not a perfect person, 
No, she's but she's so human, out. and we can identify so much of what she goes through in us, and so it challenges us, I think, to to see and hear and listen to the people we don't agree with. What is the thread of humanity that can connect you? And you know, I, right now times are tough because ideologies. You know, this is the one of the uh, rarer times in our lifetime where people are really going to stand on their ideologues, and it, and it makes or breaks a lot of relationships and a lot of way you view the world. Yep. So I think a lot for me that came up with Serena was that like this is where she started to crack before in her true in her belief mm-hmm. in Gilead last episode and like. Every scene is really just like it gets to her her. more and more and more. And you see it just get fucking deep as shit in there. Because then, you know, the next scene with them is them arriving at that hotel. And Fred is greeted, given his itinerary. And it's long lists of things. And then she gets hers. And the fucking icons. I I was dying. I fucking died. I was like. No, they didn't. <gasps> oh my god! But you know that's like but they were to conf- be respectful. They were conforming to their societal <laughs> preferences. You have to respect that to some degree. But it killed her, dear God. Oh yeah, a little part of her died right there. Uh, and I loved that little retort. I think it was like the minister of like um, you know, immigration and things like that. And he was like, "Yeah, we used to love visiting what was the states with my, my husband." husband. She goes, yeah, we'll have tourism again soon. You're like, mm. we won't come back until we're uh, welcome. Welcomed, yeah. So shady. And I was like, yeah. Oh my God, I was loving everything yeah. that man said. Shade on. And then even the afterwards, the one, uh, the female diplomat that was hanging out with Serena, like she was trying to be diplomatic, but everything she said was kind of like shaded. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> like wives. Am I using that term correctly? Oh no, that's a different person. No, that's what I was talking about though. Oh, I know they're different people. I meant like her representative as well. So, like, they both had different, like, people that they were talking to. His were men, hers were women. And they both had, like, some shade behind what they had to say. I think the the African-American woman who was, like, escorting her around. She meant to be more diplomatic about it. I don't think, I didn't really view her as shady. I think she was being really sincere. I mean, I think you're, um, the other woman who was, like, a minister, um, I believe, of economic and finance. The one that, like, really, like, stuck it to Serena on their way out. That's a different person. I honestly don't believe that the her escort uh, for her cultural activities was meaning to be shady. I can't tell. I could not. I to be honest, I can't tell if <laughs> she was being super diplomatic and like respectful of their different culture, or if she was like low key shady. Uh, I think I believed uh, in that when I watched that scene. Uh, twice because i had to watch this episode twice because i was like there's no freaking way <laughs> there's no freaking way that i can just watch this once and be able to talk about this exactly like, i can't my brain <laughs> um and i watched it again and and it really is they're trying to find that you know she's a good, trying to be a good conversationalist right you know and he was like am i using that term correctly like she's being respectful and uh she's talking about her interests and i like and, how she mentioned like do you you like knitting too, oh my right? God. And the fact that she's like, yes, I do. I'm like, oh my God, but she's you like, detest I, it. She was like, I love it. And we're like, what? <laughs> that, was a, that was a great throwback yes. moment to her uh, knitting. And yeah. No, I thought that that woman was like perfectly lovely and just like was genuinely like trying to connect with her. Oh my God. And you can see like that was like the next crack in Serena's uh, facade was or, or her belief in Gilead was just like, she okay, was 
minimalized to not like this is your life. Like you get to garden, you get to knit. I know there's nothing wrong with doing that. And if you make, you know, no, if you do but, that with your life. But yeah, that's like all the ha- options and then, she has to, ha- has right. to choose from. And then, you know, she's standing next to this woman who her entire life is about work. Yeah. And like a, she got to see the other side of what she was. And, yeah. you know, she, she said, was you know, that workaholic. She was a workaholic and she loved what she did. Just like this woman, she got to see who she used to be in someone else. Yeah. And I think that killed her inside. Yeah. For her to be minimalized down to these pictures on a page. And, you know, considering last uh, couple episodes where she gained so much power and was basically mm. running Gilead from, you know, the facade of, oh, this is all Fred, but it was all really Serena. Yeah. And to have that all cr- come crashing down on her by being, you know, beaten by Fred. You know, there's all that emotion, I believe, is still really raw. And then to be confronted with this very passionate, you know, intelligent, eloquent career person, which you're exactly right in what you said, like, that was her. Uh, yeah, that, I think, led to that emotion in that in the end of that scene. Mm. And then um, we get to uh, Fred and Janine back in Gilead, yep. and they're doing their daily walk. <laughs> Fucking Janine. Oh, my God. I, I think her. you had mentioned before we started recording how, like, oh, Mike should have been here. Because he and I would have had so much fun <laughs> talking about how she looked <laughs> over at the Guardian and was like, suck my dick. <laughs> Oh, sweet Janine, baby. I fucking love her. <laughs> and it's really like she does not mean to be a, a rabble rouser. It's just like innately within her to be <laughs> like, you know, we're having a fucking conversation. Can you not? <laughs> Can you not right now? Like, you know, she's just coming from a pure we're place. We're just of like, talking. Can you let us talk? <laughs> yeah, she's just she's coming from a place of, you know, just innocence and the things she says are sometimes not really innocent they're just really they're just candid she's a very candid person <laughs> I love she it. cannot help may the force be with you yeah she can <laughs> she like, yes. can't fucking help it and i think a lot for janine she's like you know she does have a lot to lose because she was literally brought back from the motherfucking colonies to be a handmaid again <laughs> saved for the third time jesus but uh <laughs> Yeah, and so I think she just does have this bravado with her and be like, I have been through some shit, y'all, and I have been brought back from the fucking dead. Three times. Literally Suck from the dick. dead. <laughs> yeah, and and Isaac is this, like, and I don't think that they've had an encounter with a guardian like that before. I mean, no, lies and deceit. I take that back. Lies well, okay, but they've had encounters with guardians before, and they've, like, backed off and been like, okay, like, you're... You're having a thing. You you got you two got it. Like okay, we're here if you need us. Like mm-hmm. they still keep trying to step in, but like they still have their distance. Like this is the first time that they've really gotten in and been like, we're gonna manhandle you and take you back home. Yeah, and so they're Janine's obviously upset because you know Alfred tells her the news about her leaving right after the baby is born, and so that upsets Janine because Janine right. is very attached to being a mother to Charlotte slash Angela. Right, and so yeah, that was kind of shocking. I did not expect that. Like Isaac, this person we just meant to just fucking clock her in the face and then like leave her there yeah just like shouts at another guy calls her an unwoman like okay so that's another question i have is she still an unwoman or is she back to being a she is technically a handmaid now but because she went to the colonies is she still considered an unwoman i think it's just like using it as a slur um, yeah. I mean, that might be... Pop. I mean, technically she is... Both. Technically she is an unwoman. I just... I don't know. It was, I think he was using it as a slur to just be like me a, a dick. Took me aback when he's he said like, it. He's just being an asshole. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll contest. 
and then, so after that fucking terrifying scene, we get back to Serena. And, you know, I was watching it again, and I'm like, where the fuck is her security detail? Like, why is she walking around by her fucking self? Like, is there no secret service? Yeah. Is that not weird to anybody else that she's walking around by her fucking self? Like, no guard, no one watching her, nothing? I didn't think about that. Right. Are they not, like, in the room or something? Maybe we just can't see them? I don't know. And then maybe Fred was like, eh, she's not going to do anything. She wouldn't fucking dare. Right? Maybe that's what that was my other thought was that Maybe. Fred was so thought so little about how, you know, the possibility of, you know, Serena betraying him. He was just like, eh, fuck it. Or maybe there was questions one, like, in I the have. room and we just didn't see them. I Maybe. don't know. But also that whole scene in the bar with Mark uh, Tooley, there were no guard. I mean, they would yeah. not speak that freely about fucking treason if there were fucking guardians. That around. is true. You are right. Anyway. And so we get to this scene with Serena in front of the elevator with the little girl and the mom. And the mom is oh just like God. not fucking having the it. The little girl, though. Are you a princess? So sweet. Aww. And I was like, oh. That's a cute. cute little thing. And then Serena responded really nicely. Mm-hmm. And so she's trying to be diplomatic and gracious and nice. Like, and you know, every nice, normal person, especially someone who's sh- representing and she's the first lady. she's handling herself very diplomatically. Yeah, first la- representing as the first lady of her country. And all the s- blessings, go in grace. Like, she's saying nothing but nice things to everyone. She's and being actually just, really kind to everyone. Yeah, but I mean, I can understand also, like, this woman is not fucking having it. I mean, if I was in that woman's situation, I I would feel probably like I would. But to treat her like we, so. Like, I, w- I feel like if I was in that situation, I would have kind of similarly acted the way that woman did. In the elevator. Okay, but I saw it as like, we're not going to take the same elevator as you because you're not worthy. You know, it just, it felt discriminatory in i'm not saying that they shouldn't like hate her but it just it felt wrong to do that in front of a child and say it is acceptable to discriminate against someone in these circumstances well, is it really though i mean is she not com- you might not like her but it doesn't mean you get to treat her like a second class citizen is, is serena not fucking complicit in how gilead fucking works and how gilead came to be i mean serena of, of any of the fucking of uh, all the other wives is completely complicit she was in last episode I mean, she's complicit in a lot of the ideology and, like, pushing the agenda, you know, of, you know, using the fertility problem as, like, the cornerstone for how they subjugate women and using the handmaids. I mean, a lot of that was Serena. We talk about that a lot. And so I can totally understand. If I met Ann Coulter in front of a fucking elevator, and I would probably not decide to get into the same elevator as Ann fucking Coulter. Okay, but I wouldn't have been so obvious about it i would have walked away with my child and gone a different route i wouldn't have been like and fuck you to your face oh uh, you're a better person than me Abby. i just i'm i'm <laughs> you're a better person than I, I i just don't want to be that horrible human being if i can avoid it yeah i mean i think Do that's you really like- want to show that in front of your child who is very impressionable at a very young age that this is acceptable behavior i don't think so i'm like, not in my opinion other people would argue that that's the mother like standing up for her beliefs and showing her daughter that she should stand up for her beliefs to people who, you know, are horrible policymakers. Do you know what I'm saying? I, guess. I mean, I don't want to say horrible person, but, you know. Horrible policymakers. Who, I mean, you, maybe. who you believe is a horrible person because of the policies they make. I mean, I'm, I'm not against it. I don't know. After that incident she doesn't get on the elevator she ends up going to the bar and gets a glass of riesling and i was like hey girl (laughs) get a glass of riesling on and so the reporter mark Tooley comes in and like she's eyeing the smokes because we know that she recently quit because aunt lydia made her 
and uh <laughs> she catches on pretty quick that like yeah. this person is press and like not was, and oh that was the other thing like where's though. all the fucking press well, who are the people like not like clamoring over their fucking selves i think they were trying being held to get out. they weren't allowed inside yeah probably but I, that also too is like weird to me that's what i liked is that you know he's like oh good thing i'm not press like Mm -hmm. that's probably the only reason he was allowed inside that building is because he didn't present himself as press quote unquote yeah like i'm a guest instead so here we get a lot of tidbits we've answered a lot of questions but also spawned a lot more as you have uh, already guessed by a lot of my conversation and comments so far america's smaller but still wields some power and uh, this whole exchange like i could just watch the scene for over and over again because you know which america are you referring to because they believe they were talking in double tongue the entire way through and it was was very fascinating yeah i could gonna continue watching this scene but the fact that he like offered her she considered it too you could see it she for a hot fucking second she considered what how would it play if i went to honolulu how would it play how could I, this work in my favor? I personally read that as she was just really kind of shocked that someone would approach her about that and like think that that was a viable option. And I I saw maybe. her think about it. I don't know that she would actually give in, but I saw her think about it. And then when she went home to her normal life and every day, like what she's experienced, and then she just, there are those moments where she would just look around and you're like, she's thinking about what if. Yeah, I think. Again, every scene is just a crack in the marble. The fact that it was offered to her. She knows it's a possibility if she were to ever go back. Though they can't anymore. <laughs> Listen, like, I know the line is kind of campy, but I'm like the queen of camp. And that I love, love that line. All you've offered me so far is treason and coconuts. And I, I was just like. My favorite line. Oh, my fucking God. Like, <laughs> who, who are you? These writers. Like, just. It's like so. It's kind of campy, but, but I'm. But then he comes I back and he was like, "But you can say whatever you want in your own words, and we will publish it." I don't think that Serena in this moment is interested in that. I think she has a lot of complicated feelings about her relationship with Fred. Okay, and she's having a lot of complicated feelings about like, okay, was this really the best path to relationship aside with Fred? Though she. This entire episode, she's been going back and forth because when she, from the moment she arrived and got that piece of paper up until this point, she's been thinking, what, what's the other side of this coin? What's the other side of this shoe? Like, what if? What, is the other side greener? You know, did we make the right choices? What if I had been in power instead of Fred? Like, how would this have gone down? Like, everything started out as her idea, as her concept from her book and her policies. And now all of a sudden she's on the sidelines and she's getting whipped by her own man and she can't make the policies and she's not allowed to be in power and her words aren't allowed to be used and she's not allowed to do anything she wants to. Like, she is all of a sudden confronted with her reality. Yeah. And now he's saying, you can have your reality back. Yeah. I think what's super interesting, the twist in this scene is he talks about fertility because he was like, well, I have a, you know, a baby. And she goes like, it's not your baby. And so that fucking gets to her because we know how she fucking feels about that baby. yeah. Right? I was like, ooh, girl, that's not. And then he comes back at all of her, like, sass about it. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it like that. However, our scientists have been finding that it's actually the males. And she said earlier in... Was it this season or the last season? I think it was season one. Season one, like, where she's like, probably we, sterile. We know that some of the guys are probably sterile. 
we're not the only ones that get other people to yeah. um, sleep with our handmaids to make them it's pregnant. It's in it's definitely in our consciousness because I mean like she fertility is a two is a two way street. Like there there are women who have yes. trouble with fertility and there's men who have trouble with fertility because of the how your anatomy of your fucking sperm molecules work. And so it is a two way street. And this that was an interesting twist. And that was interesting to and me. Got her. Because I think that is like the cornerstone, right? And she was like, you can have a child of your own, which is really what she truly wants, right? Yeah. And so I can, I'm starting to come around to your way of thinking that she is considering leaving in this Thank scene. You. Maybe. Inception. Maybe. I- <laughs> Possibly. Because of that fertility thing, because what does she want more than anything in the fucking world? Get away from Fred right now, have a child of her own. And have her agency back, I think. Deep down. She's not saying it out loud. But deep down, we, we read between the lines that that's what she truly wants. And this is what this person's offering her, right? Nothing and that really. was like the piece on the cake where he was like, "You, it's probably Fred. So you can like go to Hawaii and like get pregnant with somebody else who is not Fred. And you can have your own child. And she was like, well, I mean, I don't really love Fred anymore. Hmm. You know, so yeah. I'm coming away to your, coming around to your way of thinking there. And uh, she takes the cigarettes, which I thought was funny. Yes. I was like, yay, girl. So we're back at the Waterford's house after the incident with um, Janine and Isaac bonking her on the face. (laughs) And he's just like so casual. Eden is like, oh, we got strawberries from California. And Isaac's like all into it. And I was like, hmm, interesting. Is there going to be a thing there? Hmm. But what I did occur to me was like, oh, there's someone who's like paying attention to Eden. I think that might come into play. I think that was like, uh the point a quick little seedling yeah because it's just a contrast to at least eden that you know nick does not give her the time of fucking day and there's isaac who's been there for like a fucking day (laughs) and you know and is like so interested in the shit that she has to say and the things that she did so it's a complete contrast closer in age anyways (laughs) for sure so rita comes up because uh june says you know can i get a glass of milk in my room i need to take my nap and so rita comes up there and it was a ruse so june could talk to her about being godmother because she's really concerned about the welfare of this baby if she is indeed going to be uh expelled from the house expelled from the house right as soon as the baby is born and so she's really concerned you know for the safety of this child you know you had mentioned it earlier abigail about how you know uh, concern about Fred being violent, you know, and, and her sentiments around, you know, Mrs. Waterford are complicated because she knows that Mrs. Waterford wants this baby more than freaking anything. However, mm-hmm. uh, she knows that the situation that Serena is a very temperamental person. <laughs> and so to say I least. think she's also concerned a measure of how Serena is going to do But, I mean, Fred is definitely at the very forefront of, you know, we need to get this, keep this baby safe from these people who fucking beat everybody. And Serena has violently slapped Rita before, multiple times. Multiple times. Yeah. Such a great tie-in to what you were talking about, like, a child, like, what you do and say in front of a child is, you know, because children are so impressionable and they remember that behavior. They're impressed upon them at a very, very young age. The The exact age that girl was at. And so you, uh, I'm just thinking about that scene now where, you know, if Serena had smacked Rita in front of their, jo- their uh, daughter. Yeah. Um, the, that's where you, how you grow up, like thinking those, that's well, just think okay. About, yeah. Think about right? even the scene where she's with Eden and she was like, 
you're going to have to run a house one day. You should learn how to treat. And then she's going to treat the staff. And she's going to teach her daughter. Yeah. So I think it's a lot of that, too. So that was a great point you made earlier about the the child and the and the mother dynamic. (laughs) And this is one of the most emotional scenes, I think, that Rita has had. I mean, she's had a lot of scenes where she's, you know, she's a very varied person. She has some emotion she, no <laughs> i say that i say that with love yeah i say that with love because rita is just one of those characters that you know is singular and for focus and which is to like just fucking survive yeah. right now just like get from day to day to day to day to day and you know people will judge that attitude you know to just like but i mean that's sometimes how you cope yeah you know so this is how she copes is to just get to day to day and keep her head down and do whatever the fuck you know people tell her like even you know and she mentions in the scene you know this 20 fucking year old person i have to do everything he says or uh i might fucking die yeah and so she holds a lot of resentment in that but i think this is a very sweet scene like you know asking rita to be the godparent and rita saying you know if i can i will yeah and and june's voiceover like i got you someone to protect you so this is sort of like the start of this, you know, mission that June has to like try to, if June is not going to be there, which is a worst case scenario, who is going to be here to and look so she's, out? She ends up playing her cards really well, I think. Because mm-hmm. not only is it Rita, she's like, you know what? Rita's right. Maybe she won't be there the whole time. But Aunt Lydia, she's going nowhere. Yeah. So. <laughs> and we'll skip right to that scene because, you know, this scene also gets really emotional for Aunt Lydia. And yeah. Aunt Lydia is such a well of emotion, you know, and she has, as a true believer, I th- she believes all the best intentions. Yes. And she follows it to the letter, which, you know, we already discussed sort of her uh, attitude about uh, June talking about the life before Gilead. But then she also talks about the life before Gilead, and she mentions her sister's yeah. baby. And... The thing that I had wrote down in my notes was that um, Kay and I last episode had talked about how even though it was very, like, one in five are able to conceive, and then an even smaller number of that will have a healthy birth. Yep. And an even smaller number of that will survive past infancy. So we're dealing with a high rate of infant mortality, and so that was, like, a direct thing that I believe those numbers that. are noted on the timeline somewhere. Yeah. So... She talks about this, you know, it feeds into that narrative of this very high infant mortality. Yes. That, you know, getting through the pregnancy is often, you know, the the larger of the humps, but it's not the only hump along the road in terms of keeping a child alive in this environment, which we're still not super clear on. Okay, but so... Why that is? That one child, um, Janine's child, whatever you want to call her, um, we're, no one's addressed the fact that the child had failure to thrive until it had a night with its mother. Mm-hmm. No one's going to address this? Mm-hmm. Like, hello, mm-hmm. huge freaking thing. Yeah, no one's going to address this? Mrs. Putnam is There's also... There's a lot of science behind this, guys. Also, Mrs. Putnam is not known to be the most affectionate person, so that, that makes sense. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, like, there's even science to say, like, it doesn't have to be your biological uh, person. Just, right. It's uh, just skin-to-skin contact. Yeah. Like, like how she um, basically stripped and yeah. held the child to her chest. That is a fantastic way to get their circulation going, to get their hormones running, to get them to thrive. You know, it's a very simple thing. It doesn't take medicine, and it helps a child grow. You know, Mrs. Putnam as a mother reminds me of sort of like the Victorian area aesthetic of having children where like after the victorian mother has the kid it's passed have a off wet to nurse. The, the nanny the na- wet nurse and then a nanny and then like you'll see your parents at dinner time and maybe they'll talk to you possibly maybe yeah that's kind you of don't, you know it's a very well. void it was a uh, you know emotion. not the not the only period of time where you know children were void of emotion and contact you know we've since learned since then but that's what mrs putnam's thing about motherhood just sort of reminds me of is it kills you know. me that and like they couldn't find anything wrong with her all the tests were negative and that was the one that that was the issue that fixed her like are you are you fucking kidding me like no one's gonna talk about this really <laughs> i think uh yeah gilead's not super concerned with the affection and love just the uh, but that's what babies. cured the goddamn child <laughs> well i mean you know not to throw back to last episode too too much because i know you know you, you were away but that was the whole thing if it, it just, came to it a baby me. dying and like the the top neonatologist that would happen to be a woman they're gonna choose the baby dying instead of the top neonatologist who happened to be a woman it's fucking kills so me. if it comes to gilead social norms versus baby yeah. dying baby's gonna die so baby's and that <laughs> what well, but i'm just talking about you know like right. how how you were saying like okay no one thought of that eh, well it's not baby's really in their, it's not really in their consciousness or aesthetic to really do God, that you know me so anyway so we are going back to canada and there's a big protest outside their hotel they're arriving and fucking luke Mm. fucking luke is there with the blown up picture of this beautiful picture of june and him and hannah oh my god and manages to get through the barricade and shoves it in waterford's face first of all before we get into all of this luke shit i'm all for it but (laughs) i never imagined we would get all of this so soon in this season. I'm so glad. I mean, we it's did. episode nine. It's not soon, but we had a whole. We have a whole season three, and I'm gonna just put this out there that I predict that season three is p- probably gonna be the last season. And so it's interesting to me what this is gonna catalyze to, because I thought all of that getting to Luke and Luke getting that info it was all season three stuff. Ooh. And uh, anyone that knows me, especially my boyfriend, Zell, hey, Zell, uh, I have this word I use. It's my favorite thing in TV shows and movies is uh, converge is when the storylines all converge. It's like my favorite fucking thing. And this was that episode. This episode was everything converging. And I basically just freaked the fuck out the entire time. <laughs> so anyway, I, n- I never thought we were going to get all of this story and all of these lines connecting in this. Hour. It like, literally blew me away. I was like, what is going to happen now? Because we, go- we got all of this. Like easily could have drawn out for way longer than, than one episode. Yep. But I love the urgency of it. Because the urgency, we're in the third trimester. Baby is gonna drop now, sometime <laughs> in the problem now. Yeah, and you know, the Waterfords are here. They're in Canada. We got to make the most of the moment. So there's this urgency, and so Luke gets in the fa- in his face, and you know, Serena is there, and Nick is there. I was like, oh, 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 
we we've we've talked about this a lot in previous episodes we're like when is that gonna happen it was amazeballs and i think it was like me who was i don't know if that'll ever happen (laughs) i was like fuck it happened i'm over here like wait for it see what's gonna happen i can't wait (laughs) so we have the confrontation of nick and luke and serena and luke and waterford and luke and so this is what we were referencing earlier in uh, what we were talking about uh how you know fred is just like Oh, there's a lot of misinformation out there. You are mistaken. I did not, you know, and it's that that true believer like Mm -hmm. delusion of like this is this is the fact of what we do, and so it's really easy to see how God, (laughs) like, how are you? How do you operate on that level of like? I just it's unfathomable to me, but obviously it happens a lot in real life, and Mm -hmm. so we get that confrontation. And he goes, yeah, well, you know, I, you better fucking remember me because I'm going to remember you. And, and I'm going to hunt you down. Gilead's not going to be around forever. And he goes, oh, his kingdom endureth forever. <laughs> and I was like, you better remember your scripture. <laughs> oh, motherfucker. <laughs> then there's an interesting little, like, one line that I was like, no one's going to address this. Like what <laughs> you were talking about with uh, Janine and the baby and, like, the uh, skin to skin contact. Right. When they're in the hotel room, he was like, yeah, don't worry about him. It's fine. Yeah, talks went well. We were talking about this. They might even extradite the immigrants. And I was like, excuse me, holy what? Hmm? What? Yeah, they no, were, I what? heard that. Excuse- there what? was no way. Excuse me? Extra. What? So the people who used to live in the area that is now occupied by Gilead, you're going to extradite the hell fucking no. They might have. I was like. Who, what bullshit is that? I I don't think Canada would ever suggest that that would be a possibility. But. I heard it and I didn't know. No. But at this point in time, I think Canada was operating that like Gilead was on good faith. And then so then we get to the ultimate climax of this episode is, you know, uh, Nick and Luke meeting in the bar because Nick goes to find Luke. And it tells him all the info about, you know, June. Yes. And he was like, oh, is it Waterford's baby? And you just see Nick like, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So, sure. that, that okay. In that moment, the thought that went through my head is, oh, my God. Mm. He is in love with her and will do anything for yes. her happiness. Oh, uh, yes. Well, okay. All of you out there, there's a lot of shit talking about Nick on the forums. And I want to know why. Because you do not see no, this exactly is that what ultimate, you said. This is the ultimate moment. Like, he yes. just wants her to be happy. If that means that she goes back to her husband and continues her life as it was before, he's going to let it happen. That is the definition of true love. Abigail can attest that I just had a fit in my chair. She really did. Uh, she was kind of seizing. I was seizing <laughs> because I agree with you so hard. So I, yeah. Hate on Nick if you want. But you can hate all you want, you but that you was want. proof of true love. Then <laughs> the fucking letters. Oh the God. letters. Moira. The letters. Moira sentence. I was hoping we were going to get some C4 or something to blow up. And then the, the other one's response, we can make it blow up. What if this does blow up? It was such like a full circle moment. And uh, I said, and the pen was mightier than the sword. That, uh, hey, hey. Continues. Hey, hey, continue the thread. I am kind of floored. At, that wasn't their first instinct. I would have been like, dude. It took them a hot minute, right? Obviously have to go to the press with this, right? <laughs> like, right? what are you going to do with this? Why, what, do you not why would you not gun? immediately <laughs> give it to the government? 
that's what all right i don't know whatever so but i can understand if you had sat there and read all those letters I, you would probably be stunned at the amount of atrocity you just read yes right understandable i i i will concede that for you and you just see i i just love that and aaron has become this like great little mini character and she like has she's like finding her voice and we're seeing her find her voice which mm-hmm. is interesting i also appreciated her acting in the first scene in canada where we get luke moira and aaron and she's sitting on the couch and she sees waterford and they're talking about gilead and she immediately starts getting an anxiety attack and she starts like rubbing her ear where her tag used to be yeah i was like i see you girl i see you acting that was intense i i see you anyway it was beautifully done beautiful so we get to the next scene so satisfying so the waterfords come in well all your sessions today are canceled and we're just gonna take you to the airport so you can like go now yeah and they tell them about the letters how and they were no uploaded yeah. oh this is all misinformation um we believe the women that yes. statement that one yes. we believe the women that is the perfect statement of the entire season now i can't remember who it was that wrote in earlier the season saying that uh the show isn't you know addressing the female side of things yet or enough of the feminist movement this is the moment we've all been waiting for. that's all me too the we believe the women line is exactly hashtag me hashtag me too right and i mean i we again we can talk an hour about me too so we won't but but this was that moment. Yeah, it's like if there is a direct correlation between what is happening in our current feminist movement and, you know, something happening in the show, it is that line. We believe the women. And so, yeah. Misinformation, my ass. We believe the women. Yes. The writers, fuck yes. Yeah. Oh, what this brought up for me was, you know, in the book, in the epilogue of uh, The Handmaid's Tale, written by Margaret Atwood, obviously. In the epilogue of the book, <laughs> in the literature, it's written that they're at this conference, this anthro, um, anthropological? An- anthropological conference, and that the entirety of The Handmaid's Tale as, liter- as a book was basically a transcript from a tape that was like, happened to be found in some ruins. This is from the book. So what is interesting to me, and I didn't connect the dots earlier till this very moment, what? is that I was like, oh, that's that's like the fucking tapes. Is that, you know, these letters have found their way to Canada and now they're all uploaded. And so now we're having this like, it's sad about what they've done to you. The woman who is like a minister that stuck it to Serena. You know, I can't believe you. Uh, I don't know how you can live with yourself. I don't know what, it's sad what they've done to you. And I don't know, it just brought that up for me, thinking about the epilogue and how in the future, According to the book, we know Gilead has fallen. Okay. As a fact. And so in conjunction with the letters, I was just like, oh, that's like, you know, like this conference from like the epilogue where they're, you know, talking about the anthropology of this like fucking culture that's like so far removed from them, but they're like rediscovering it and they're like thinking about all these theories and stuff and it's a mystery. Okay. But it also makes me think the epilogue is not too far removed because they're still piecing shit together. So I'm my working theory get at me about your theories about the epilogue fully following because i didn't read the book i will send you the epilogue so you can read it okay you should probably post it online for those that haven't read yeah the book as well. absolutely i will post it so you get what i'm talking about and that's just what it brought up for me and i was like oh the epilogue must be 
somewhere recently after Gilead's fallen because they're still piecing a bunch of shit together. Because up until this point, like, and a lot of dictatorships do this where they're so insular. And again, we, we talk about North Korea a lot this episode, but it's that, like, it wasn't for a really long time that we got intel that uh, the horrible way that uh, people are treated and, and, be, and kept in line through force and a lot of really sadistic ways, like punishing your whole family for an offense, things like that. Like, we did not know any of that till, you know, people started escaping and telling us. And even then, it's, you know, still super vague. I mean, now so there's reporters working? and stuff that can go in there and give us intel and things like that. But at the very outset, it was very, very insular. Because again, you know, during, you know, the pre- predecessor's reign of uh, King Jong-il, Ill. you know, they did not allow very many outsiders to come in. So now, you know, in the last, you know, decade or so that we've had a lot of people coming in and out of North Korea, we're starting to get this intel. So that's what that brought up for me okay. is that there is information out there, but none of it can be corroborated because no one from the outside has been in and then come back out except for Mexico. And they're, co- and they're complicit. They're like, we're yeah. game. We know what the deal is, but we're still going to do it. So let me get this straight. Your working theory, because I obviously haven't read the epilogue, your working theory is that the epilogue as written from like an anthropological conference yeah. is in the near future. Mm-hmm. After Gilead has collapsed, mm-hmm. they found some writings or a transcript of some sort, and they are piecing together some different events that occurred relatively recently beforehand. Yeah. So that's kind of like when um, June was in the the Boston Globe, and she was trying to piece together yes. the timeline Absolutely. of events beforehand. So really, no one really knows all the different things that played a part. Right. And after this falls, we're going to get more information. Yeah. And probably when she escapes Mm -hmm, we'll get more mm -hmm, information mm -hmm. out of her because she did that timeline Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this is making more sense to me okay cool awesome (laughs) so yeah i will post the epilogue for you um and so the motorcade is like barely able to get to the airport mile an hour and um you see serena is like super upset finally like just just really upset um and then moira's fucking there and i love the signs that says the my, my name, name is, is moira and she puts it up to the fucking window because she knows waterford's in there oh, waterford yeah. knows it and she was like it's not fucking ruby it's yes. moira and i was like yes and i love this whole theme like since that um scene in the market of like reclaiming your name and like yes. therefore reclaiming your the my name is movement yes i love absolutely. it so at the like little after party of like the protest, you know, celebrating that the Waterfords and Gilead got kicked out, um, someone starts singing America the Beautiful. That gave me chills. Okay, can I just say that that moment, like I know it was supposed to be this beautiful, like they had a moment moment, but for me, like it felt and it sounded like one of those moments in a horror movie before someone gets slashed to death. Like mm. I had chills <laughs> all up and down my body. I'm like, who's about to die? Like yeah. I'm freaking out. And I think Luke was a great example of all the complicated feelings of that. Because let's be real, compared to Gilead, obviously we prefer the freedoms and democracy of America or any Western nation, (laughs) right? But, you know, things are not perfect. No. And that every upside that we have in terms of freedoms and, you know, agency we have in our democratic country comes with its downfalls because it's also one of those things that uh, advantages are not equal for everyone right and we recognize that but it's also sort of this like for me what that brought up was like 
oh yeah that's beautiful to like celebrate you've reclaimed sort of you know this identity of what your country and also i don't have the experience of being a refugee you know to have been driven out of your home you know because you know the entirety of syria is you know bombed to bits right and you know what would that feeling be like so like in the arab spring when you know they uh forced um when they forced him out you know to what to reclaim uh, that feeling of like what it's like to reclaim your country like i don't personally have that experience you know the experience i do have is you know i know right now like to be an american is very complicated and there's a lot of things that we can celebrate and there's a lot of things that we have to improve on because it's to the detriment of you know so many people like so many minorities and you know sexual orientations and genders and and all sorts of things are still so severely subjugated like people are actively trying to sub resubjugate the people who we've worked the groups of people we've worked so hard to have as equal rights and as as much um agency as everybody else so i i get that feeling so you know every time you know this administration does something super fucking ass backwards and then we're able to come back and sort of like like save it in some way and be like nope we're gonna like we're gonna we're gonna keep holding on right <laughs> and so i get that feeling so i i feel like on some level we can kind of understand what that's like um but for me what came up was it's a it's a complicated feeling to be proud to be an american does if that makes sense it is complicated it's very yeah. complicated i think in any administration it's complicated yeah yeah. They're always going to do something you don't agree with. Mm-hmm. They're always going to say something you might not agree with. Mm-hmm. They might pa- pass a policy that you don't entirely like. I think that song, America the Beautiful, it just brought up a lot of what is the idea of patriotism. Because, you know, in the scene with uh, right. the reporter and Serena, and he was like, I work for America. And she was like, well, which, which America? America? You know, and the, there was also a line that we didn't address that at the end of that scene. She was like, you really think I would betray my country? And he goes, you already, you already did. did. So it is this like she couldn't say anything, (laughs) this thread of uh, what does it mean to be a patriot? Right. In a very subtle way. You know, it wasn't super in your maybe it is in your face. But But to me, it was there to me because, you know, America, the beautiful. It's like such a even if you're not American, you know, that you know, that song. Um, Most people would know that song. And. And and Luke, I think, had those very complex feelings, and that's why he left the room. So we get the Waterfords return home early, mega early. Yeah. You know, Waterford's upset, and he was like, I'll never hear the end of it from his colleagues. And, you know, and Fred has a weird moment of reflection, which he never has. He was like, we're lucky, aren't we? Like, we have a good thing going on, is what I, what I heard. So I didn't hear like that. I heard him saying, like, reaffirming with her, being Mm. like, we have plenty going on. We are doing great. We have, you know, all these blessings in our life, like reaffirming all the great things that they stand Mm. for. I didn't hear it as a question. Mm. Interesting. Again, I'm going to be watching this episode again uh, for For a third time, a few more times, because... (laughs) I think there's a lot to unpack about it and, and a lot of those moments like, you know, Abigail and I are, are discussing over. And we see all these different moments. We see them differently. And yeah, I think that's kind will. of the point is yeah, to for sure. give us art, a discussion. It's art and art is interpretive. Absolutely. For sure. 
And so Serena, you had mentioned the scene earlier where she's really thinking about, I put the connect, what did I write? <laughs> Can't read your oh, writing. Serena's convictions starting to crack. See, I saw that starting way sooner than you're writing. Yeah, I said starting to, but I was I realized in talking through this episode, I was it like, started no, long it's, ago. Yeah, it's it's pretty cracked right now, and so she burns the matchbook. Fragile AF. Yeah, I really think we're getting to a point where Serena is possibly going to be a, a really huge part of the resistance right okay so i wanted to say something earlier but i didn't know if it make made sense until this exact moment but yes i'm thinking that she and june at some point are gonna fucking band together mm-hmm. and be this resistance that breaks this down think about it think about the symbolism the symmetry and the freaking artistry behind the concept that she helped build it and she's gonna help break it the fuck down Ooh, yeah i didn't think about that that is just beauty i did not think about that and epic proportions that would be called epic. it right now guys yeah i mean this the writers of the show are very you know good about you know having these very full circle things they, they they don't leave a whole lot of loose ends i mean there's a few big ones we're still waiting on okay especially but like they're mexico gonna, okay but they're gonna come back but and they, they are that. they're they're not neglectful hopefully I, I doubt that they are. I doubt they are. That's why it was so floored. I was like, you know, we've had a lot of these questions for most of this season. We've been uh, asking to be these questions. And I was like, oh, well, the writers were just like, fuck you. Here's all your answers. <laughs> yeah. Here, we'll um, give you a bone. <laughs> <laughs> so we get this, uh, this scene between Nick and June. <sighs> oh, God. See, okay. And this just reaffirms what I said earlier. He is in love with her Mm -hmm. and he will do anything for her Mm -hmm. happiness and she saw this in this moment like he knows that that is still her husband and that he will do anything for her and her husband if that is what would bring her the most happiness he's gonna do it i also think that this is a brilliant thing on the writer's part in terms of of deciding this of nick's character because i think the very obvious thing to do would be like nick fighting for june and having that love triangle that's hella obvious and i had anticipated that because that was just like you know oh, what? well I obviously too. and then and the way this play- june going back and forth between them and the way this played out i was just like damn son like that is just fucking that is just some fucking beautiful shit because <laughs> that's a whole new level of love because like isn't that the definition of love that you will do anything for your partner's happiness Absolutely. even if that means giving them up yourself yeah and this was that moment I think, oh God, this scene, it was just like, there was just so much in it because there's so much that happened in this episode. Like, I cannot reiterate enough how much happened. And to take all of that and distill it to this moment of what you're saying um, that, you know, this love for June is like really the thread that connects this entire thing, right? You know, June is, he will give up everything for her. Yeah. And he's already gone against the eye how many times? Oh. I like, mean, he's no longer part of the eye, let's be honest. He's part of the resistance at this point. He handed over the letters. Yeah. He is in the resistance now. He handed over the motherfucking letters. Well, I mean, also, he helped June escape the first time. He had to be talking to somebody from the resistance to make oh, that happen. Oh, yeah. I just love this. I wrote down, when Nick says, I love you, I wrote next to it, he means goodbye. And I don't mean goodbye like he's not going to like talk to her or whatever. But I think what they've what they've tried to 
to inch out is that okay he's recognized that luke's passion and love for his wife you know is undying is is undying and and they have a family and even though this is a really fucked up situation like you know that you know putting that forward i think for nick to respect that that feeling you know that family you know obviously like he feels it there's no like logical way uh you know like i said you can't logic your way you know of the decisions that nick has made in this episode he's just done it all by like this is the right thing to do yeah this is the right fucking thing to do and so from that there you go from that i think he's gonna he says i love you but i don't think he's gonna pursue his affair with her anymore and it was very difficult since, I mean, Eden has been brought into the picture that's just brought a, a huge wedge in his ability to be able to have whatever kind of relationship they wanted to have that would be possible to have in right. this situation because it's obviously illicit and illegal and it's not supposed and it would all be in secret. So it was difficult to begin with. Then you add Eden. And then so I think this brought a closure to mm-hmm. their affair. To June okay. and Nick's affair is how I read into it. I can accept that, and and I feel like it's a nice closure because I think it means like Nick is still always going to be there for her, and Nick is going to help gonna her, her. Is always going to love her, but I think now he's going to turn over a leaf and like make an honest effort with Eden. Ooh, is what I you know feel like is coming. I would be happy about that if he does Same. do that. Same because poor Eden. <laughs> yeah. Again, like, you know, Innocent it's, little bear. She's like, a child bride. <laughs> it's not her fault that she's a child bride. No, and she knows it's no It's not different. Nick's fault. She knows no other life. Yeah. Like, the poor bear. And I think what Eden brings up for me, I think what Eden brings up for me is that even though in this fucked up situation, right, she is trying to, you know, live her fucking life. Yeah. She is trying to be a good housewife. She is trying to build a relationship with this man who is you know her husband Mm -hmm. and so for me that is you know this is coming from a place of pure intention Mm -hmm. and so for nick to reciprocate i mean maybe he'll love her one day you know he obviously doesn't love her right now the way that he loves june but for me you know for nick to show her the same respect and kindness that eden is trying so hard Right. With Nick. I think I, I, I totally think agree with you. That would way. be a nice development in the relationship. Also, you know, I had mentioned Eden could still be dangerous because, you know, guess who was also knows about the letters? Eden. Yeah, but did she read them? I don't know that she did. No, but I mean, it could I think only she's take a good little girl who knows no better and follow the rules. I think it's going to take one Martha to be like, oh, did you hear about the letters that got uploaded to in Canada? And she's going to be like, blink, blink. Tink, tink, tink. What? Because she's seen some letters. I mean, she didn't read them, but I, I assume you know what a letter looks like. And you I recognize what a letter is. What, but watch her walk up to him, be Little Miss Innocent, and say, did you hear about this? Mm-hmm. And then he'll play along. And then she'll be like, were you involved? How could you ever ask such a question like that? Blah, 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 blah. How dare maybe, you? Maybe, maybe. You know what? You're right. How dare I? And then go back to her corner. <laughs> I I accept your prediction, and I insert mine that uh, it's going to have something to do with it. I don't know if she'll do it out of malicious intent, because we have No, that. I don't think she's malicious in intent. Uh, for now. I mean, I had thought for a moment <laughs> that just Eden simple. might turn malicious if 
you know, this continued down the path of like not getting any reciprocal feelings from Nick and being con- honestly being treated kind of like shit by Nick. Yeah. And, you know, getting attention from someone else. And if so, if she turns on him in some way, that's going to that might play a role. But if Nick turns a new leaf and actually, you know, works on their, you know, friendship, live as she <laughs> rolls her eyes. Yeah. <laughs> No, and I say that because it's just like marriage. It's like you're forced into a marriage, so it's weird to me. Like you got to work on your marriage. You have a, because... you have a relationship of sorts. Yeah, right. It's, yeah, it's not like the even right phrase. even um when you look into arranged marriages, mm-hmm. a lot of the time they end up loving each other down yeah. the road because they built a friendship of sorts. Yeah, so I can see that. Yeah, so that's my prediction. Awesome. Okay, so I was so caught up in episode nine. I have not seen the uh preview for episode 10 but we will talk about that next week speaking of timelines we have uploaded the timeline so far i think it goes up to episode 7 i think yeah so we are going to be adding to that it is on our facebook page you can visit us on facebook.com slash the handmaids podcast it's pinned to the very top and there's a high-res images you can zoom in and out and um see all the lovely work that abigail has done putting that together there's pictures and you know, as especially as we get flashbacks, we didn't get any this episode, but we'll obviously be adding the, yeah. We'll uh, obviously well, be adding the yeah. events of Canada and you know events of you know episode eight and things like that. So, and I'm sure there's descriptions, but for those that um, don't read the descriptions, um, the black line is just our standard timeline through time. Uh, there's gold and there's gold outlined in red. Gold outlined in red is for. Um, our colonies timeline and our standard gold is for our canada timeline it comes in and out as we go through time so thank you for reminding me that because i did not write that in the description well, so now you know do that. <laughs> i will update that for you uh so yes please take a look at it like it share it with your friends everybody you know who loves the handmaid's tale so thanks for hanging in there there was so much to discuss this episode as always we are here for your comments feedbacks uh love um, if you would like to make a donation, you know, it helps us with, you know, costs that come up uh, in running this podcast. You can do so at coffee.com. It's ko-fi.com slash the handmaids podcast. So thank you so far to those who have made a donation. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. And we will see you next week. Whoop, whoop. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.